you need. Some of the best wisdom that I ever received was to savor whatever is wonderful about whatever season of life that you're in. That whatever season there is, wherever you are, however old you are, however young you are, there is something wonderful about that season. You, you can remember what it was like when you first were married. You were married, and you, but you didn't have kids, and maybe you even had dual income. You know, I, I, we used to, Meg and I used to hear the dink thing, like dual income, no kids, right? And do you just remember how rested you were? Like you were just so very rested, right? I mean, what is that about? And, and, you, and, and the best part is, is you would come home and you would say, I'm just so tired. I'm, I'm, you always felt tired. And then you had kids and you realize you've never been tired before, you know? You've never been tired before. And then you have little ones in your home or you, you, you get a, a new... Uh, a new promotion at work and your stress level at work kind of goes up. But there's something wonderful about that as you watch those babies begin to toddle and those toddlers begin to run and then they begin to ride bicycles and you sit there and it's not that it's easy. It's not that it's pain-free, but it is wonderful. You come into the teenage years and the teenage years are beautifully complex, right? Or, or you come into that kind of that next gear in your marriage, even without kids, and, and it's beautifully complex and you've you found a rhythm, but you want to avoid the ruts and you, you get in there and you've realized, you know, as weird as this is, as complex as my house is right now, there's something wonderful about it. There's something beautiful about it. As you enter into the empty nester years and you come in, to the retirement and career, more of your career is in the rear view mirror than in the front windshield, you can look and there's something to savor there isn't there. There's something that is precious about it. Not a single one of the life stages are easy or pain-free, but they are all uniquely wonderful and uniquely beautiful unless there is some type of dysfunction, right? Unless there is some type of dysfunction, it's beautiful to go into the teenage years unless in the teenage years your husband walks out on you or your wife walks out on you or your health fails you and you have to begin facing these incredibly complex time alone as a single parent or as one who is, who is ill and trying to muster up the strength and the energy. And it's, it's hard. It's, it's wonderful to go through, the, through a marriage with all of its ups and downs and all of its hardships unless, unless the marriage falls apart and unravels and then, then it sours the whole experience, doesn't it? That all life stages are painful and difficult but beautiful, but dysfunction, dysfunction into the life of the family and dysfunction into the life of, of the Christian causes the whole thing to begin to shake a bit. What we're going to see this morning from the author of Hebrews is that just, as the, just like there are life stages for each of us as we grow and mature as human beings, as we grow and mature as dads and as husbands and as wives and as moms and as children, there are life stages in the Christian life. That the Christian life have, has life stages that mirror that, that we experience naturally and that it is each life stage is beautiful and each life stage is wonderful and each life stage is praiseworthy so long as dysfunction doesn't creep in. 
as long as you continue to progress along those life stages and move through those life stages. So last week, what we saw is we saw that, that connection is really the starting line of biblical Christianity, connection into the life of the church, connection with Christ, connection with those that are taking seriously the study of God's word and growing in the likeness of Christ together. But what I want us to see is just as we put our faith in gear through connection, we have to then, if we're going to live as flourishing, thriving, healthy Christians, begin to go through the gears and to shift gears out of first gear and into second gear and to begin picking up speed in the Christian life. That yes, we connect as baby Christians, but we don't just rest in connection. We begin to grow and to mature and to advance in the Christian life. So if you have your Bibles, would you go ahead now and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. And we're going to see the second step of our discipleship process, disciple. We, are, we want to connect each, with each other and we want to disciple one another. So when you get to Hebrews chapter 5, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 11 and we're going to read through chapter 6 verse 3. God's inerrant and sufficient word says, about this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. From our text, I want us to see three observations about the Christian life cycle. Three observations about the Christian life cycle. The first observation that I want us to make is that Christians ought to grow up. Christians ought to grow up. Everybody in my house talks like Sarah Eliza, my youngest. She uses, uh, all of her R's come out as W's and it's just awesome. Like, it's, it's just the greatest thing ever. You know, like, like she wants to drive somewhere. <laughs> she wants us to run somewhere. And so it's become a habit in the hell household. And I don't know what this says about our maturity, but all of us have just latched onto it and we love to talk that way. Because it's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's wonderful. When you see a child talk like a child and you see a child play like a child and you see a child behave like a child, you don't think that there's a problem. You think that is beautiful. That is wonderful. There's nothing that's more, more, uh, more encouraging and more enjoyable than listening to children talk and watching children play. But if they're still talking that way when they're 15, if they're still playing that way when they're 15, if they're still behaving that way when they're 15, we say they're delayed, don't we? There's a delay. 
If they're still that way when they're 29, if they're still thinking that way and talking that way and behaving that way when they're 29, it moves from delay to disability, doesn't it? This is the author of Hebrews' point here. That when we see a baby, it is beautiful and it is wonderful. To see a baby Christian, there is nothing more enjoyable than that. There is nothing more exciting. I've been spending time with Donnie. And let me tell you, man, Donnie is on fire with a zeal for the Lord and a curiosity about the gospel that is infectious. It's infectious. It's a reminder to all of us who have been Christians for any period of time, the, the amazement and the miraculous power of what Christ has done to call us back into the rawness of that zeal, isn't there? But baby Christians ought to grow. Baby Christians ought to mature. Baby Christians ought to become firmer in their faith and their faith ought to begin to shift gears or we begin to wonder, like the author, he's gonna wonder throughout chapter six, did the seed fall on, on rocky soil? Did the seed fall on rocky soil? You'll remember the parable of the sower, the seed falls on rocky soil and immediately it shoots up and it begins to look impressive, but it withers and dies because it has no roots. It's not able to hold down deeply into the soil and to get the nutrients that it needs. In other words, the plant doesn't mature unto the harvest. And so the preacher of Hebrews says, you ought to be teachers by now. There's, there's a delay here. There's a dysfunction here. There's a disability here. There's something broken in this picture. Right now, you ought to be teaching, but you need to be taught again. You ought to be leaders, but you need to be led again. You ought to be grown-ups, but you're still babies. You ought to be healthy. See, he's not being mean to them. He's, calling, he's bringing a warning because he wants them to be healthier than they really are. He, he, he loves them and he wants them to enjoy the fullness of Christ and the joy that is offered. He wants them to know the depths of worship that is available to them. And so he, he raises the flag and sounds the alarm and he says, something is off. There is a concern here that you're not maturing in the faith that you need to be taught and you're not able to teach. You see, growth in the Lord, maturity, sanctification in the Lord is a process. It doesn't happen instantaneously, but it must happen. It must happen. Maturity isn't an option of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. It isn't an add-on. It isn't a luxury idea. It is the very essence of what it means to walk with Christ. And that is to grow in Christ. It is to move through the life stages of the faith. To start as a baby and to savor what it is like to be a baby in Christ and the zeal that you have and the passion that you have and how the blinders just come off and you see things that you've never seen before. But then it is to take new steps and new steps and new steps to go deeper and become more obedient and to see Christ's glory in all of its grandeur more and more and more. It is to walk down the path of Christ and what we have tried to do with our discipleship process is to create a process that parallels the life stages of the Christian life. 
That just as you are to take steps from a baby to, a, to an adolescent, to a child, to an adolescent, to an adult, we want to help create that process in the life of the church so that you can identify where you are and know what the next step for you is. And listen, brothers and sisters, whatever step you're on, that's okay. You can't do anything about yesterday. You can't do anything about last week. You can't do anything about last year. Where you are is okay. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has bought your past. But what is not okay is if you stay there. Is if you stay there. Don't worry about what you haven't done. Look forward to the joy that is offered to you and what you can now do to press on into maturity, to go through the life stages of Christianity, to be able to savor what is wonderful about them all. I wonder how many of you would describe your walk with God as a rut. I wonder how many of you would describe your walk with God as unexciting, as dull, as nothing new. There is more of God for you to see. There is more joy for you to know. There are deeper truths for you to understand. There is worship greater than you can even begin to comprehend. It's time for a new step. It's time for a new step. If you're connected, it's time to disciple. If you're, you've been discipled, it's time to go. It's time to take new steps across the, li- the life cycle of the Christian life. He gives us a, really an aside is what we see here in the life of the author. He, he, this isn't what he's been talking about. He's been talking about Jesus as a high priest. And he's just told us that what he wants to do is he wants to explain to them how wonderful it is that Christ is a high priest, not in the line of Aaron, but in the line of Melchizedek. He wants to open up our eyes to see how beautiful it is, how transformative it is, how meaningful it is to our lives and to our worship and to our families that Christ is a high priest, not in the line of Aaron, but instead in the line of Melchizedek from Genesis 14. But he concedes. This is what I want you to see. This is what I want you to love. Oh, it's so good for you to see it and it's so good for you to love it, but you don't have the framework for it. You don't have the maturity for it. You don't have the maturity to see how beautiful it is. You don't have the the maturity to see how applicable this is to your walk with God and your access to God through the Son. You don't have the framework. And I want to take you deep. I want to open up the veil even wider. I want to paint an even more beautiful picture of the gospel for you. But you just aren't ready. You can't see it. And he tells us the reason. The reason that they're still on milk, not on solid food. The reason that they need to be taught again rather than teaching others. The reason that they aren't growing in Christian maturity. And the reason is, is that they have become dull of hearing. They've become dull of hearing. You see, this is really the main idea of the text. It starts, the same word is transfer, uh, translated as dull in chapter 5, verse 11. And it's the same word that if you look down to chapter 6, verse 12, is translated as sluggish. Sluggish. The problem is, is that you have become dull of hearing, chapter 6, verse 12. So I'm writing you all of these things that you would not be sluggish. This is why I'm telling you all of this to get past the laziness, to get past the slothfulness, to get past the sluggishness, 
to get past the immaturity that is, I am writing all of this that you would stop behaving like a spoiled child. That instead you would see how beautiful Christ is and what the gospel means and take new steps in your faith and continue to grow and mature in the faith. See, the problem that they have isn't that they're unable to hear. The problem is that they're unwilling to listen. The problem is not that they can't read the word. It's that they're too lazy to open the word. The problem is not that they can't understand the sermons. The problem is, is that they would rather be working overtime and making money and, and surfing Facebook and playing Fortnite. The problem is, is that they have the maturity of a child and they are not progressing as they ought. They're not growing as they ought. And so they have become sluggish and they have become consumed with things that are less important. And so their growth has been stunted. Stunted. It's not that they were made to be short. It's not that they were made to be underdeveloped. It's that they have not been nourished properly. They are dying of malnutrition and now their growth has been stunted. But be sure to see re the, the problem behind the surface here. Stunted Christians are too easily satisfied. That's the problem. Think of what he's saying. He's saying, you have the offering of a filet mignon, man. Like, like, Christ has come. He has given you the fullness of his revelation. He has told you everything that is wonderful about himself and true about you. And he has reconciled all of that together in Christ. And it's like you don't care. You have been offered a filet mignon, but you are satisfied with a bottle. God has offered them wonder but they've settled for apathy. They don't feast on the stake of God's word. They feast on the saturated fat of the world, supplemented by as little of God as they can stand. They're lazy and sluggish and dull to the glory of God because they're willing to settle for a lot of the world and only a little of God. I wonder what your diet says about you. What does your diet say about the maturity of your faith? You know what, if you're a baby Christian this morning and you just haven't been a Christian very long, like milk is good for babies. It's proper. The fact that, that these things are still so out there a little bit for you and you're, you're wrestling and running and they're racing through your mind and sometimes the preacher says things and you're like, dude, I don't know what that means. That's beautiful in your life. But if you've been a Christian for a decade, two decades, three decades, and that's still your experience with the word of God on a regular basis, there's always going to be things that perplex you. But on a regular basis, you are not maturing as you ought. What are you digesting? Are you just continually feeding yourself the milk of the word, the bottle when you have been offered the steak? Think about your life. What do you know more about? Could you more thoroughly explain to someone how to create a Facebook account and how to have an active social media presence than you could articulate the gospel? Could you describe to someone in greater detail the history and life and uh, play of Tuatonga Valoa more naturally than you can discuss the truth about Christ? I ask you, brothers and sisters, who is the center of your life? Who is the center of your life? Who is the savior of your life? 
I wonder how many of us are settling for the milk and feasting on Fortnite when we could be feasting on steak and we would better enjoy the world that we live in anyway. What does your diet say? He doesn't just tell us the reason though, he tells us the result. The result of their dullness of hearing is that they need to be taught again. They need to be warned again. They have been taught these things, but they have, to be, they have to learn them again. Someone has to explain all of this over again. A few years ago, when I had the surgery that I had, you might be surprised to know that the, the scariest part of that whole ordeal took place for me personally, not necessarily for my wife and family, after I was already through the surgery, after I was already starting to get better, after all of the, the scary part, like life's part was over, about six weeks, I just sat on a recliner. And some of you have had that experience and you've probably had that experience even more times than I have and you could tell the story even better than I can. But about six weeks after, I was starting to feel better and I was starting to come back to myself. And I, I remember Gracie Kate, she came and she asked, the house we lived in at that time had a basement. And she asked me if I would go downstairs and I would turn on the TV for her in the basement. And I said, yeah, I can do that. And I remember going to the top of the stairs and just gonna walk down the stairs like I always do. And I went to take it, my legs started shaking. It, it started shaking so badly that I realized I was not gonna be able to walk down the steps. And for the first time in my life, I felt frail. I felt frail, I felt, I felt fragile. I, I, I felt so inept and so weak. You see what happened? Is sitting in that chair all day, every day caused the muscles in my legs to atrophy. The muscles that were there went away. And something as simple as walking down a flight of steps became virtually impossible for me without assistance. And I wonder for how many that describes their walk with God. There was a time in which they were growing in the Lord and there was a time in which they were passionate about the Lord. And there was a time in which they were strong in the Lord and progressing as they should have progressed. But then, then they sat down in the recliner of faith and their legs, their muscles begin to atrophy so much so that now they must be taught again. Now they must learn again. Now they must rebuild the muscles that they once had so that they can begin to grow in the faith. This is what Paul is talking about. There have been too many days in the recliner, too many months of neglect, and now you're frail and weak. And the repercussions are that you are vulnerable to death. That you are vulnerable to death. That you are vulnerable to be destroyed. This is the fear of the author. This is the main point that he's making. If you continue dull in your hearing, if you are unwilling to listen, if you willy, willingly choose as little of God as you can handle, not only will your growth be stunted, but your life will be wrecked. This is life and death. That if this is you, you'll be like an infant on the front lines of war. This is what he means when he says at the end of verse 13, he says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of, of uh, unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Do you see what he's saying? 
unskilled. It is, you have been given the sword of the Spirit, that is the Word of God, to fight off the powers of darkness, the principalities that you can't see, and the spiritual war that all of us are fighting and all of us are waging against. You have been given the Word of God, the very same weapon deployed by Jesus Christ in the wilderness against the, against the enemy, against Satan himself, when he came to tempt him with all of his wisdom and all of his cunning and all of his power. And three different times, what does Jesus say? For it is written and you and I have been given the same sword but as babies as infants in the face faith we don't know how to divide it properly we don't know how to wield our weapon effectively we are unskilled with the words of righteousness you know if you took an infant and you gave them the most advanced weaponry that we have you took an infant in the middle of a war and you placed him in the, warf in the battlefield with a bazooka, he would still be vulnerable to a man with a knife. The cross of Jesus Christ says that we have victory over our oppressors. We have victory over the kingdom of darkness. We have victory over sin. We have victory over death. We have victory over timidity. We have victory over anxiety. We have victory over weakness. But we as babies have no ability to wield the weapon and we live in defeat even though the arms have been cut off of our enemy. Brothers and sisters, we have been given the bazooka of God's word. We have been given the M16 of the gospel. Let us be trained and become skilled so that we may not be vulnerable. See, brothers and sisters, we are at war. We are at war. We are on the front lines of a cosmic battle. And baby Christians leading families will lead them unto death. And baby Christians leading churches will lead them unto death. And baby Christians leading communities will lead their neighbors unto death. This is life and death. We need some men of God and some women of God to take up arms in the word of God and become skilled at wielding the weapon that we might slay the enemy, transform our families and reach our community. Christians ought to grow up. And it's not too late to grow up. Do you understand that? You ought to grow. You ought to mature. And if you're here this morning, it's not too late for you to grow and to mature. This is the reason that he gives the warning, isn't it? He gives the warning because the warning can be effective. He gives the warning because if they heed the warning, their lives will be saved and their families will be delivered and their communities will be... He gives the warning because the warning can be effective. Where, wherever you are, again, don't worry about yesterday. Don't, don't worry about the guilt and all the things that the enemy tries to, to do and, and tell you in your life so that you'll remain powerless. Start where you are and begin taking new steps today. Are you, are you on the milk? Are you, are you, that, that's okay. That's okay. Absorb the milk and use it to channel and to create energy in your life to follow after the Lord. Absorb the milk and all the nutrients that it brings into your life so that then you can take a new step and to grow in the skill of the word and grow in your understanding of the gospel. Absorb the milk so that you can get to the stake. Learn the knife so that you can get to the bazooka. It's not too late. 
for what God wants to do with you in the rest of your life. It's not too late. It's not too late for what God wants to do with the rest of your life. Men of God, it's time for you to be discipled so that you can disciple your wife and disciple your, your kids. You ought to be teachers. Women of God, it's time for you to be disciples so that you can defend your family and nurture your children and raise them in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. You ought to be teachers. Teenagers, it is time. It is time. There is no better time for you men to walk with the Lord in maturity and faithfulness because we need you to be teachers. It's time to be discipled, church. It's time to grow past infancy. It's time to see the greater joy that is available to us. It is time for us to grow up because Christians ought to grow up. The second observation that I want us to see is that not only ought we, should we grow, but grown-ups keep growing. Grown-ups keep growing. You'll see this in his description of the mature. They are not merely described as those who wield their weapon well. They're described as those who are in a constant state of training. Read verse 14 with me in chapter five. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have the powers of discernment, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He, he, he shows someone, though someone who is mature, someone who is strong in their faith and they keep working out, all right? They don't skip leg day, right? They, they, they keep strengthening themselves and wherever they, they're weak, they identify that and they continue to practice. The word there for training is the word uh, is, in the Greek is the word gymnazo. You can probably guess that's where we get our word gymnasium. So the, the idea in our minds is, is a kind of athletic training. Uh, the result of repetition in your life, helpful, constant repetition this is Tiger Woods hitting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of golf balls on the range so that on Masters Sunday, when the green jacket's on the line, he can hit a transcendent shot and make it look natural. This is Steph Curry shooting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of threes throughout the week in practice so that when the buzzer beater is coming, he can just turn and shoot and it looks instinctive to him. It's the result of training. It's the result of, of bringing himself into submission so that he is able to grow as a player and be able to be clutch at all of the right moments. See, it's practicing day in and day out so that what you're supposed to become actually becomes a part of who you are. It's immersing yourself as deeply as you can go day after day so that what is right becomes instinctive. That's what discern discernment is. He talks about the mature having constantly trained the powers of discernment. Discernment is the opposite of being unskilled. Discernment is the ability to be skilled at a moment's notice. Discernment is instinctive godliness. Discernment, discernment is knowing how to apply the gospel to every circumstance and every decision of life. Discernment is a Bible-saturated intuition. Discernment is gospel application through momentary activation. It is to be able to call on wisdom and call on the word the very moment that you need the wisdom and the very moment that you need the word. It is to be able to apply the gospel to whatever circumstance you find yourself in at a moment's activation. 
You see, here's the problem. Everything is answered by the Bible, but most things are not in the Bible, right? Everything is answered by the Bible, even though most things are not in the Bible. Your questions about marriage and parenting and grandparenting and career and abortion and gender identity and college and retirement, all of them are answerable by the scriptures. All of them are resolved in God's holy word. The trouble is, the trouble is, is it doesn't say it explicitly, does it? You have to understand the word, be skilled in the gospel and being skilled in the gospel and understanding the word. Then, then you can know how the gospel applies to all things, even though it's not necessarily mentioned explicitly. See, you don't get a study guide for your life, do you? Your life is filled with exams, one after the other. Exams that are critical for the survival of your family. Exams that are critical for the thriving and flourishing of your children. Exams that are critical for the flourishing of your marriage. And you don't get a professor that says, hey, you might really want to hang out in chapter 3 of Nehemiah for a while. No, there's no study guide for life. And, And when the questions come, you can't cram for the exam at the last minute. No, life is filled with buzzer beater moments. And in the buzzer beater moment, the only thing that you can do is turn and shoot. There are no practice shots. And life's buzzer beaters require discernment. Life's buzzer beaters require discernment. They require you to instantaneously apply the gospel to your sexually active teenager or to your delayed four-year-old. There's no practice shots. Just, Just turn and shoot so that you can deliver your teenager from death. So so, so that you can cope with loss in a broken world. So that you can face down spiritual depression in your life. So that you can deal adequately with the anxiety and the troubles that come. So that you can cope with financial catastrophe as a family. So that you you can deal when mom and dad pass to the next life. What are you going to do in the buzzer beater moments? You cannot cram for the exam. What you have to have is a godly, instinctive, intuitive discernment. See, there are no shortcuts to Christian maturity. Training, discipline. Discipline is in the very nature of the word of disciple. Disciples must be disciplined. Discernment comes from drinking in the milk and then exercising with the strength that it gives you, training with the strength that the milk brings into your life so that you can study ahead. The wise feel the urgency of the crisis of the future even when it's not crisis. You need to be trained. Your training must be constant. See, this is the next gear in our discipleship process. This is the next step that you take. connection is powerful and connection is the starting line and connection is critical but connection is not enough to train your discernment connection is not enough to show you how to deal with the buzzer beaters of life connection is not enough it can give you a support system but it can't help you cope it doesn't give you the framework to process the hardships of life and a framework to to process the questions of life and to deal with the ethics of refugees and the difficulty of raising teenagers and coping it doesn't give you the the framework for that you got to take a new step you got to have your powers of discernment trained by the scriptures. You've got to become skilled in wielding the weapon of the Spirit of God, which is the Word of God. 
can remember my D group. A few years ago, there was a, there was a brother in there whom I so deeply love. And we were at that point as a D group that pretty much every discipleship group gets to. Where, where everybody, we've been doing this for a while. We've been memorizing a lot of scripture. We've been reading books and reading scriptures and doing all these things. And, and everybody just kind of got weary, you know. We were just kinda, everybody was just kind of tired. And, and I remember sensing that. And we were, one, one Thursday morning we met and a, kind of a, a really controversial question came up. A big question. And so we spent the next two hours just talking about that one question. And I remember one of the brothers, he spoke up and he said this. He said, I just wish we'd do this every week. I, I wish this would just be what we would do every week. I, I enjoy this more. Th th this is easier for me. But I remember I asked him, I said, how do you think a person has an insightful answer to a question as difficult as this one? How do you think a person is able to, to speak competently, to, to speak convictionally, to speak scripturally into a question that is as hot button, difficult, red hot as this question. The only way is if they prepare for the question without even knowing the question is coming. The only way is if they feed their hearts and grow from the milk of the word into the solid food of the word so that when the question comes, at the moment the question is asked, they can hold up the bazooka of God's word and fire down on it. It's to have their discernment trained. It's to have an instinctive ability to speak with godliness. Can I just tell you, there are questions coming to your house that you're not ready for yet. You're at war. The enemy is coming after your child, your teenager, your college student, your adult married children. They're coming after them. The, the enemy is coming after you. He's coming after your joy. He's coming after your hope. He's coming after your marriage. He's coming after your life. And you don't know the tests that are ahead. You don't know the buzzer beater moments that are gonna face you in your life. How, how will you possibly have any hope of answering the question? Study the word, be discipled in the faith, make a connection, but then shift gears and go to the next life and build a framework through which you can process all of these things. It is to live with urgency before the moment of urgency comes and knocks on your door. I wonder this morning if it's time for you to take a new step. I wonder if, it, I wonder if it's time this morning that you would begin looking to what you, how you can be discipled and how you can be prepared. The final observation that I want us to see is that grown-ups help others grow up. Grown-ups help others grow up. There's a, there's a subtle shift here in the author's speech in chapter six, right? So, so chapter five, he says, since you should be teachers, but you aren't. Since you should be skilled on solid food, but you aren't. Since you should be well-trained, but are unskilled, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Let us go on to maturity. And this we will do. Do you see it? You see it? This is not a you problem. This is an us problem. This growing up is an us responsibility, not just a you responsibility. You need to be taught so we will teach you. That's what he's saying here. You need to mature so we will take responsibility for you. 
You need to see the glory of Christ so we will train you in the glory of Christ. You need to be skilled in the word. So let us help skill, train your skill in the word of God. You need to be fed milk so we will wean you. We will take responsibility for you. This is an us, a collective experience. See, the connection is the starting point. Do you see that? The connection is necessary so that we can take responsibility for you. But then when we connect with one another, we can't be satisfied to let our Christian brothers and sisters continue on in immaturity. We can't let ourselves become satisfied in letting our Christian brothers and sisters continue on unto death. So he says, leave the elementary doctrines of Christ. Leave them. Now, now he's not talking about abandonment. What he's talking about is leaving the elementary doctrines of Christ in the same way that you leave a foundation of a house. You, you know, the Taj Mahal wasn't built by laying the foundation, pulling up the foundation, relaying the foundation, pulling up the foundation, and relaying the foundation. The Taj Mahal was built into this modern wonder by expanding upon the foundation, by elaborating the foundation. There is a school of thought out there that is lethal. And it sounds so good, y'all. It sounds so right. But there is, a, there, is a, there is a stream of logic that is out there that says, I know that Jesus saves and that's enough for me. I know that Jesus saves and that's enough for me. I'll leave the deep stuff for everybody else to figure out. I know that Jesus saves and I'm not gonna worry about doctrine because doctrine divides. I know that Jesus saves and I'm not going to worry about all those parts of the scripture that I don't really understand. I know that's and that's enough for me. And the problem with that is the Bible. The problem with that is the Bible. Does the Bible not say that it is all breathed out by God and profitable for you? Does the Bible not say that you are to come deeper and take new steps of faith with me? Can we talk about for a second what he's trying to teach them? What he says that they aren't prepared for, what they're being rebuked for, is not understanding the high priestly Melchizedekian line of Christ. All right? We're not talking about the shallow end of the pool, y'all. What he wants them to see is the wonder that Christ is our high priest, that Christ is the priest that offered himself as our substitute. And he is not like Aaron. He is like Melchizedek. He is both keep, king and priest. He has no beginning and he has no end. He is the greater Melchizedek who will reign on the throne and reigning from the throne, he will intercede on our behalf for a substitute. I wonder this morning, brothers, do you care about Melchizedek? Oh, it's an indictment on our day of how little of God we're okay with. How little of the scriptures we want. But disciples of Christ don't determine what of God is worth knowing and what isn't. God has already determined that. God has already determined that. He has determined for us what we should know. And disciples are not to determine what is worth knowing and what is not worth knowing. We are to be determined to bring all of our lives into complete submission to all of God's word. So he wants to teach them so that they can teach. He wants to help them to grow so that they can help others grow up. He wants them to build a magnificent tower of Christ's glory onto the foundation of the gospel. And this is why we should disciple one another. This is why we should disciple one another. 
Brothers and sisters, our immaturity is an us problem, not, and, and it will be resolved through an us process. Our immaturity is an us problem, and it is to be resolved through maturity through an us process. This morning, if you're on milk, that's okay, but there is filet mignon available to you. There is a deficit of Christian maturity in our day, isn't there? There is a deficit of Christian maturity in our day. Our families are led by elementary Christians, but they aren't facing elementary problems. Our churches are being led by elementary Christians, but they are not facing elementary problems. When infants lead, it is catastrophic. Brothers and sisters, I'm calling you forward. I'm calling you forward, not alone, but with you, as one of you. I'm calling myself forward, that we would take new steps of faith, that we would begin to be discipled and to make disciples, that we would be taught and being taught, we would take the responsibility to teach others. This morning, I wonder if the Lord's opening your eyes. I wonder if you're seeing the immaturity of your diet and feeling the conviction of the Spirit to repent and to go deeper with Christ. Look in, in the chair behind, in front of you. There's a tell me more card. What I'm gonna ask you to do is just to mark groups on there. Mark groups. And we're gonna know this morning that when you're marking groups, you're marking for a discipleship group. A group that's gonna go heavier and deeper. If, you, if you're still thinking, man, I missed last week and I'm all about the connection. Like, I need to make a connection. You need milk before you get to meet. That's okay, that's acceptable. That, that's, that's good, that's healthy, that's right. Mark groups and just write connection beside it. And we'll touch base with you in the next couple of weeks to help you get connected. But, but today, brothers and sisters, is a day of action. You can't fix yesterday, but today it is not too late for you to be who God would have you to be and for you to do what God would have you to do for the rest of your life. Would you step up? Would you step up? Would you shift gears in your faith to experience greater joys? Let's pray, to, pray together. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at nine o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.